Hello and welcome to the Access of Space Defense and Security podcast. I'm Omkar Nikam, your host for this episode. In this podcast, we explore the latest developments and trends in the fields of space exploration, defense technology, and national security. Each episode features insightful interviews with experts and industry leaders who share their perspectives on a wide range of topics, including the latest advances in satellite technology, space exploration missions, military defense strategies, cybersecurity, and more. Whether you are a space enthusiast, a military professional, or someone interested in the latest innovation in technology and security, this podcast has something for you. Join us as we delve into the cutting-edge research breakthroughs that are shaping the future of space defense and security. Stay tuned. Episode 40 is a follow-up of episode 39, so I kindly request you to first listen to episode 39. to very well connect with our discussion episode 40 thank you very much enjoy the episode in this question i believe we have already answered uh in the previous conversation i would say uh, but you know i'd like to take a little bit step ahead in that has the emergence of private contractors affected or posed any kind of challenge for un peacekeeping missions definitely you see a private contractors have been there earlier also and they have been used now unfortunately or fortunate unfortunately as we see the most of the crimes by private military contractors we call it pmc yes. pmcs yes outside un peace operations but are in the knowledge of the host state who prefer to turn a blind eye as they complicit in the crimes that help them to remain in power now in conflicts whether it is interstate or intrastate interstate means as you know that between two states intrastate means within the state different yes. parties to the conflict and regardless of the actual cause of the conflict innocent civilians suffer the most now yes even though protection of the civilian is a shared responsibility between the state and the un but it is the more a primary responsibility of the host state it has become a priority objective for the un yes the un has or un peacekeeping has generally contributed to bringing stability to the conflict zone but peacekeeping missions are criticized for not being able to deliver the mandate especially when it comes to protection of the civilians yes the aggrieved party don't see the logic the civilians are dying they are not interested what is written in the mandate in black and white to them they expect that peacekeepers flying the blue flag wearing blue helmets have the moral responsibility to save them and were unable to do that for reasons beyond their control the local population become can become very angry you would you would have heard about the incident last year july what had happened 25 in eastern drc that 
civilians attack the UN base, that you have not been able to protect us from M23 rebels. Yes. And to some cases, that uh, the anger from the local population becomes so strong and some of the countries, a host state, use this as a pretext to ask the UN peacekeeping mission to close down. Okay. So I would say it could be politically motivated also because they can always argue their case that look, UN peacekeeping mission is here for so many years. Our population are still dying. They have been killed. They have become target of violence. So if you cannot save them, please close and leave. You know what has happened to Mali? This peacekeeping mission MINUSMA has been asked to close by end of this year. Okay. Democratic Republic of Congo has also asked the event headquarters that expedite the phase withdrawal of MONUSCO by end of this year. Now, this could be a political gimmick because election is coming. But point yes. is that it is even peacekeeping mission has to take in a blame of for someone else. So it is a big challenge. But this challenge is not that, but you see, I would say that private military contractors uh, since they're not part of officially a part of any government, but obviously they're supported by the government. They're well-trained. So it could be assets also. I'll give an example. You know, aftermath of Rwanda genocide in 1994, it became a challenge to the event. Okay. That firstly, the Hutu massacred about 800,000 Tutsis. Then Tutsi came to power and retaliated. Then many genocidal Rwandal, Rwandan soldiers, Hutu soldiers, ran away to Eastern DRC. And they took sh shelter in the refugee camps in Eastern part of DRC. Now, seized with this problem, UN had three options. First option was that increase the size of the peacekeeping mission in Rwanda with a large force. Or second one is that deploy a small force, not as large as I mean what has been what should be expected. A third, I believe it has been suggested by UK that outsource the security responsibility of the refugee camps, refugee camps to a private military contractor. Okay. Now, now it's very interesting history. The UN went against deploying the peacekeeping force, the large peacekeeping force, probably out of fear of repeating its dark history of not being able to uh, prevent the massacre or genocide or that it had failed in Somalia and 
And as for PMC's concern, it was not agreed to in principle because it would have amounted to the United Nations abdicating its primary responsibility. Another reason, which however could have been, it cannot be written down, that any success by the PMC would question the very existence of the UN Department of Peacekeeping Operations. Yes, that's an interesting perspective. Yeah. The result was that, sorry, the result was that Rwanda yeah. armed forces took matters into their own hands and hostilities returned to Rwanda DRC border. You know, okay. even in future, that due to lack of accountability and divided opinion within the Security Council, the UN is not likely to consider employing PMC for protecting the civilians. But I must uh, add one more line, Omkar. Yes. If the PMCs, if they become members of International Stability Operations Association, there is an organization like that, which was formerly known as International Peace Operation Association, and uphold the ethical standards as set out in the ISOA Code of Conduct, PMC could be considered as a force multiplier. Okay. But it is not that easy, of course, it is an option. Sorry, you were asking me something. I uh, yes, yes, no, I yeah, no, I, I was saying that I believe uh, uh, you have explicitly mentioned about the role of non state actors as well. So, this is really good, uh, because uh, I mean, we I have personally I have always seen you know people discussing things from the matter of only the lenses of the UN. Uh, but I hardly knew that, you know, this kind of things are there as well, uh, where a country like UK has authorized possibly PMCs as well. Uh, and as you said, you know, there is a kind of a procedure in place to involve even the PMCs too. Uh, because I believe if, uh, you know, at the end, you know, it's the cooperation that matters the most when it comes to save lives. And whether it's UN peacekeeping missions or maybe it's it's some private arm or maybe you know a semi-private arm of any government, a cooperation will always bring more fruitful results. You know, uh, uh, other than that, uh, Umkar, uh, like I mentioned that if PMCs become member of that official of, of, yes, or yes. organizations and decide to uphold the, uh, I mean, code of conduct, abide by the code of conduct, they could be considered as an asset. So I would say that PMC can be also reasons for stability as well as instability. Yes. But... That's important, yeah. But... But... Instability is the PMC's best friend. Yeah. 
because it's not only PMCs, the money is involved, interested yes. parties are involved, harm industries are involved. So it could be both. But if you uh, if you look at the scorecard, I think there are cases, but this is a, I think a, a subject by itself. We can talk about it later if you wish to. Uh, there are cases that PMCs have helped some of the countries to fight the armed gangs, like for instance in Nigeria. You know, but overall, I think since they do not want to be controlled by anyone, they since they work for money, so they don't have any ethics to. But there are non-state actors, but in other areas as well, NGOs, but de-minings. So this is a separate subject by itself. We can have a chat later sometime. Yes, yes, definitely, definitely. I think, yeah, this is a very uh, huge uh, subject. I mean, PMC itself can be a different episode, I would say, <laughs> because yeah. there are several dynamics involved, you know, at the end, like... Uh, uh, the finances, when the, whenever the finances come into the play, things go haywire. So, yeah, you know, just proceeding ahead with the questions. Uh, you know, so from your perspective, are there any notable instances where peacekeeping missions have had a transformative impact on the political dynamics of a region or a conflict? Yeah, there are several examples, Sumkar. But I will quote only two examples. I think here. Uh, one is that I talked about Sierra Leone. It is called yes. as UNAMSIL, the United Nations Mission in Sierra Leone. This was active from 1999 to 2005. There were a lot of ups and downs in the mission, but finally what happened that it is considered that one of the successful peacekeeping operations I mean, although its effort have not been without any criticism. Another reason is that UNAMSIL was a notable pioneer in several elements now common to even peacekeeping, including giving authority to, to peacekeeping missions to engage in protection of civilians and peacebuilding-centered exit strategy. Second example, I'll give it to you, United Nations Interim Forces Lebanon. This I'd like to quote because this is one of the oldest traditional peacekeeping operations and people normally do not pay much attention to UNIFIL until something big happens. Yes. So, uh, the UNIFIL was established in 1978 and, and it was deployed in the context of interstate conflict between Israel and Lebanon. I mean, regions of the conflict, I mean, slightly more detail, I would not like to go into detail. I was just explaining the, what had happened. Yes. Now, despite several wars between Israel and Lebanon since 1978, and the last biggest war between Lebanon and Israel in 2006. And UNIFIL mission was almost closed, but it did not close down at the behest of the Lebanese government. The size had increased and it is still there. 
incidentally this is one of the peacekeeping missions where there is a substantial contribution from peacekeepers from the western nations otherwise you will hardly find peacekeepers from developed countries participating in peacekeeping operations in complex missions like minusma yes. monosco uh, that's a central african republic or south sudan most difficult peacekeeping operations you will find all the peacekeepers and all the troop contributing countries are from the global south so what happened the policy decision is taken by the west and the peacekeepers are provided by the nations from the global south yes and that is one of the reasons why global south is saying that the process should be inclusive we must have better say it doesn't happen so soon you know that after ukraine soon russia invaded ukraine they have a talk going on that security council has become defunct it has to be reformed yes it has to be reformed but not that easy because the charter is the same one of the countries of the p5 nations will veto any security council resolutions which may be tabled to allow or increase the number of the p permanent members okay that apart what i am coming to the lebanon you know uh, so far it's a 2006 till date no no major war has taken place between israel and lebanon so yeah. longest period now this peacekeeping mission is not capable to prevent the armed conflict between israel and lebanon which can take place because of political reasons then what is the yes. peacekeeping mission doing there last so many years there have been incidents along the blue line small small incident at tactical level which have the potential to go out of control and resulting is a big regional conflict for instance in 2006 it was a small incident at the blue line hezbollah kidnapped two israeli soldiers you remember that yes so the number of small incidents take place a, a person crossing the blue line because other side may consider him to be a spy suppose he is kidnapped then what happens so what happens is that whenever the incident takes place unifil come to know about it the poster all along they immediately react and take the control of the situation does not allow it to go out of control using various mechanism talking to either side you know liaison and communication mechanism so i would say that till 2006 and to till now there could have been so many major conflict like 2006 if unifil was not there okay so unifil yes. has actually contributed 
to yes. preventing the occurrence of major conflict and maintaining the status quo. And in Middle East is a great achievement. Okay. That's that's interesting. And you know, uh, I mean, we briefly, actually, I think you touched upon this point, would like to elaborate on it. Like how do peacekeeping mission engage with humanitarian organizations and NGOs and diplomatic efforts to address conflict-related issues? Okay. You know, other than Department of Peace Operations, yes. even Department of Peace Operations, which deals with peacekeeping, there are six even agencies and eight even specialized agencies. To give you an example, even agencies like UNDP, UNICEF, World Food Program, specialized agencies like FAO, WHO, and apart from that, there are number of NGOs who are there in the field to who want to contribute in their own way to bring stability to the conflict zone. Now, these are specialized agencies and they have made substantive contribution. Now, these agencies are very, very independent and they want to guard their independence and do not want to be seen taking sides. They feel that peacekeeping missions are not apolitical because it is a result of political decisions and they are apolitical. They want to remain away from them. And out of all the agencies, the agencies normally whom you will find in conflict areas, UNDP, United Nations Developmental Program, World Food Program, and of course, out of the uh, specialized agencies, they are like WHO are generally found working in the conflict zone. One thing that ties the peacekeepers with these agencies is security. That is one. Second thing is yes. that a common objective is that to save human lives. Now, these agencies generally approach the peacekeeping mission in field for security when it is needed. Yes. For example, providing immediate medical relief. There are places area can be inaccessible and they can ask for security or even helicopters to have them dropped. So what has happened nowadays, the deputy head of the mission in a peacekeeping mission is also known as resident coordinator. So one of his job is to coordinate the work or activities of all such agencies in the field. I would say the coordination is the most difficult part of management. Yes. It, I think success of effective coordination, I think completely based on an individual I mean, initiative, his own, how he can carry the team along with him. And I would say he has to be a visionary person. So basically, all depends. The relationship between the peacekeepers and agencies is fragile. 
A lot depends on leadership and how to nurture this relationship for betterment of everyone. There are a number of cases where this, I'll give you another example. I think I don't want to make it long for my personal example. 2009, around March or so, there was an exchange of prisoners took place in Lebanon-Israel border. It took place between, it was organized by ICRC. We are not part of that. But since it has to take place where a unifil post is there, so you cannot do without peacekeeping missions in direct involvement. At the same time, so that the swapping of the prisoners and dead bodies, which Hezbollah had handed over, I mean, go through smoothly and not interrupted by some other elements. So that day, I think peace Unifil had to be more active than any other day. So it was supervised purely between Lebanese Armed Forces, ICRC, of course, indirect support of Unifil. And I would say that our political, civilian staff of the political department was present. And because they're very important that, you know, when you, something happens that you not be able to talk someone, you look for someone who can, of course, communicate, whose language can be understood by the other side. These are all <laughs> mechanisms you, you cannot true. you cannot formulate as a standing operating procedure that everybody will have to agree. It's an art. Yes. And, uh, you know, I mean, we are reaching at the end of the podcast now. Uh, but, you know, I would like to just ask this question from more from a future point of view. So what are the key political trends? I mean, you spoke about a lot of them. You can, you know, see whichever fits in well for this answer. So what are the key political trends and future challenges in the world of UN peacekeeping and uh, global diplomacy? Yeah, the UN is going through a difficult phase. There has been rise and fall of UN peacekeeping. There are, co of course, several regions for this. The Rwanda genocide, disaster in Somalia, and Srebrenica massacre are the worst periods of history of even peacekeeping. Apart, even peacekeeping also has some significant contributions to maintain the stability, including yes. protecting hundreds of civilians. But what comes to light is its inability to protect civilians in some cases and its inability to prevent violence. Now, without justifying why the UN could not do what was expected, because there can be multiple reasons, and more and more countries that are amid conflict are not satisfied with the UN and have asked even peacekeeping mission to close down. Now, okay. in one of the recent articles, I think published day for yesterday, a famous, a well-known expert on UN. He's commented that UN has become ambitious and therefore must scale down what it can do. Hence the UN should, I feel, what he means is that UN should bite that it can chew. The bigger problems, you know, yes. even although considered the defunct during the Ukraine, 
which is ongoing now the gaza crisis people have been making use of the un platform to you know explain to people what is correct what is not correct you know telling people about talking about that you know they are at least shouting at least if people are listening yes. bigger problem and he said and possibly ask others to bite and chew the smaller problems is an excellent idea but my take on is that how does one filter bigger problems from the smaller ones would it be yes. as selective as seems now not so now however the role of even peacekeeping in complex conflicts has certainly declined while there is no alternative to blue helmets i think structure of missions must change and now since yes. enforcement operation is not an option could not succeed it and peacekeeping missions are not going to go away soon peacekeeping missions are likely to be smaller in size and likely to be employed in observation and supervision role it could be military could be combination of military and civilian a combination of military civilian or police or maybe only civilian peacekeeping missions or a combination of a multiple combination can be done or could be a political missions but it will take some time but to yes. say that even is going even peacekeeping missions are going to close down i don't think so although this idea of some of the african nations that they will take matters in their own hands but they want support from the un in terms of budgetary support to protect their own civilians i mean a it's quite nice to hear these words but i really do not know from the history they will succeed or not it's too early for me to say but one thing i am very sure the size of the missions will go down i think restructuring has to take place okay so yeah i mean the final question that i have uh apart from our conversation i would like to little uh, now zoom out completely out say not little <laughs> so the conversation and the last question that i always ask to our experts is uh up for the students so you know i believe every expert uh, that comes on this podcast uh, shares their perspective uh, has something to offer you know to the students who are you know who are the future leaders uh, of this world so this question is dedicated to the students whatever you feel you can uh, provide from your uh, experience and insights so what message would you like to share with student researchers and other stakeholders who are participating and engaging in peace and conflict research studies you know omkar firstly i am not an expert okay <laughs> i am a student myself maybe because i am taking interest in studying maybe slightly i'm getting better day by day like for instance by talking to you today i have gained a lot so my message will be to my fellow students not from an expert to student it is that to begin with that even came to replace league of nations and fill the gaps that league could not 
obviously there will be expectations even could meet some and were unable to meet some but the organization hogged the international limelight only for what it could not and rarely known for what it has done as for peacekeeping is concerned the meta study proves that the peacekeeping missions have made significant contributions to maintaining international order now opinions of academicians and research scholars are based generally on the second hand third hand inputs and hence their yes. observation may not be always correct my recommendation yes. therefore to my fellow students who are keen to participate in research follow a combined approach of qualitative and quantitative research after taking a field field visit yes that's all i will share i will my message to my fellow students mukar thank you very much sir uh, for you know providing such uh, great insights and for the last message for the students as well uh, i believe the audience is going to take a lot of good insights from this conversation because this is the first time we had a dedicated episode on un peacekeeping mission and we briefly spoke about uh, private military companies in one of the podcast um, but we didn't really have any perspective or any discussion from the angle of un so yeah thank you very much you know for uh, coming on the podcast giving us a precious time and i hope we uh, record some more episodes in the future because i believe uh, there are several topics including topics like private military companies which have come up uh, during the conversation for them we can definitely record dedicated episodes in future so yeah thank you very much sir yeah i have got one uh, distinct very of course i would love to do that but it can happen in next month because uh yes yes definitely definitely quite busy there's a event i am going to speak to some of the students on 20th and then thereafter followed by a international event on peacekeeping protection of the civilian and international humanitarian law i will yes. i will actually post the link at, yes on linkedin platform and all those who are keen they they can join virtually definitely definitely thank you yes sir definitely i'll i'll coordinate with you uh, would be really glad to record one more episode on that for sure definitely will coordinate together <laughs> thank you so much amkar nice being with you yes thank you for listening to this episode if you find our podcast insightful then please like share and subscribe See you in the next episode. Thank you.